0: Oh, my friends, you are in for a treat today. Okay, maybe I've said this before, but hey, a treat is a treat, and I, for one, will take as many as I can get. So, where was I? Oh yeah, treats. Today's guest on the Isle of Misfits is one of those people that the more you learn about her, the more amazing her story is, and the more you hear from her, the more treasures just keep unfolding. So, how's that for an intro? I think you need to just keep listening.
1: Today we're not messing around here on the Isle of Misfits, oh no, we're going to just jump right in because frankly, I cannot wait to speak to today's guest. Her name is Patricia Beale and she's written a book called A Season to Dance, but that's just the tip of the iceberg with her folks. So without any further ado, I want to give a warm Misfit welcome to you, Patricia. So glad you could join us today. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, well, I I have to tell you. So, you know, of course, we're here to talk about your book, but i read your bio, and it's so fascinating. I think (laughs) if it's okay with you, I would like to talk about you for a little bit. Sure, no problem. Awesome. Okay, so first of all, like I said, I I read your bio because I visited your website, and can I just tell you, I love that you have music. Yes.
2: I love uh, I recorded a video of my little girl opening the first box of books that we got to the house, and it was just so cute. I decided to incorporate that. And then, you know, the beauty of the classics is that that music is now available, a lot of it, for anyone to use.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. It. I mean, what what a wonderful thing. So you're just greeted right away with this beautiful classical music, and I have to tell you, it automatically made me feel a little classier and a little bit smarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, so I have to recommend you go there just for that. And We'll give that website uh, in a little bit, but um, it was quite therapeutic. So, uh, thank you for that lovely gift. But it was on your website that I learned a few other very fascinating things about you. So, I'll start you out. You were mm-hmm. from, from where? Brazil, Brazil. Yeah, Brazil. Okay, and you came here when?
2: In '92, I was 20 when i decided well when pretty much god led me to the united states it was it's an amazing story right there i I had finished high school i began college twice i dropped out twice i was completely clueless as of what to do with my life and back then i wasn't really walking with the lord i I didn't have a walk at all i just you know i grew up in christian schools but it had never touched my heart uh, until much later in my life but um there was a commercial on tv With this uh, young man, college student, um, walking into a church and saying, Wow, God, I haven't really talked to you in forever. I don't even know what I believe, but I really need some direction. I don't like the way my life is shaping up to be. And that commercial really touched my heart. And and in a couple of days, I went to a church and I prayed the same prayer. And within a month, my half-sister, who was living in Indianapolis, came to Brazil to visit. And she had a brand-new baby. And she said, If you don't know what to do, just come to Indianapolis and we'll figure it out
1: well that was 92 I'm still here Wow so in 1992 you saw a commercial and what was that commercial again it was um back then I went
2: to Catholic schools and mm-hmm. the Catholic Church every year they have a commercial like a focus for the church worldwide and okay. that year was to bring young people back to church so the commercial was about the young man saying I don't know what to believe but mm-hmm. there was something missing and and it touched me, and and then I went to church and I prayed for direction and you know asking you
1: shall receive. That's awesome. Well, that is one of our core values here on the Isle of Misfits. Mm-hmm. Is that truth can be found in the strangest places, even on a mm-hmm. TV commercial. So that's awesome. Oh, I, love that. <laughs> I don't know. I think God knows that
2: I pay attention to commercials. I don't want don't watch TV often, but when I do, commercials have a way of sticking with me. He once spoke with me uh, through a Cadillac commercial. <laughs>
1: But that's another story. Love it. Love it. Love it. (laughs) So, all right. So, and we're still, we're barely scratching the surface here. Okay. So you're here. It's 1992. Um, I understand you got a job at McDonald's. I did,
2: um, and I couldn't speak English, not at all. Um, I could. I once got lost at a mall, and I wanted to find the exit because I figured if I find the exit, I can find my sister's car. And I remember the word for exit because you see it everywhere, uh, you know, on the fire exits and whatnot. But I could not bring myself to pronounce it right. I remember saying something that sounded more like excite, and nobody had a clue what I was talking about. <laughs> yeah, <So> McDonald's. Show <laughs> me how we're excited. We're excited. (laughs) down the street yes (laughs) um so anyway yes my my english was not very good it was non-existent um my portuguese is terrible so there you go there we go (laughs) what i did was um get this job at mcdonald's with the help of a friend and they put me making salads and washing dishes because i didn't have to talk you know i could do that Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. minimum communication skills Mm-hmm. And it was so there that I, yeah. Yeah, I, I started talking to the people and kind of falling in love with the language. Everybody was very kind. You know, your typical McDonald's environment, it's fast, it's simple, and you get all kinds of characters. And, and I was just fascinated with the people and with the language, and I began picking up uh, a little bit here and there. But quite frankly, I did not enjoy uh, washing dishes. And, uh, I can't and imagine salad. why. That's so <laughs> glamorous. <laughs> yeah, I still don't like to wash dishes. Um, yeah, I that anyway. College
1: too, so I hear you. Yeah, you
2: hear, me, and when things splash, yeah, back and every true, day, actually, splash. Yeah. <laughs> Just not for a hundred <laughs> and it's people, always egg yeah. and hot sauce. What is it about egg and hot sauce that
1: comes back? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, the egg liquid. It does, yeah. but, oh, yeah. but
2: that's when I finally realized, for the first time in my life, uh, I realized, okay, I, I might have to give this studying thing a fair chance, or this is going to be my life, and I don't know that I'm pleased with that. So uh, I studied more English, and I, I knew enough at that point to pass the TOEFL, barely, you know, the English test that foreigners have to take before they can be accepted at American universities, and I passed, and, and then I began studying, and with time, I fell in love with literature, and I did well, and i like, you know what this might be my thing and incredibly enough uh, 98 six years later after you know where's the excite (laughs) I graduated with a degree from University of Cincinnati
1: with honors in English literature top of my class so from the dishroom in McDonald's to magna cum laude with I'm yeah, a B.A. in English Literature.
2: How odd is that? I mean, I had Harvard professors who, whenever somebody asked a question about the roles of the English language, they would point at me because they knew I knew the answer. That's amazing. That's how I really got into it. It, it was exciting, and I studied like a crazy person. I still love the English language. I homeschool my son now, and, and I'm just loving it because every time we get to the English after lunch, it's like, yes, let's do this. <laughs>
1: That's amazing. So here's an aside thought. I always uh, wonder this because I I barely speak Spanish, just a little, you know, enough that maybe, maybe I could find the exit or maybe not. (laughs) Um, but, um, But for people, you know, I have a number of friends who are bilingual or multilingual. I always wonder, like, what language do you think in? Do you still think in Portuguese or does that go back and forth? It goes back and forth. Most
2: of the time, I'm thinking in English because it's the language I speak all the time and that I read in all the time. But if I call my mom and I have a conversation with her in Portuguese, chances are uh, after we hang up, I'm going to continue to to think in Portuguese until something in English comes my way and then it switches. Mm-hmm. So, so but it's almost like so a bizarre. A you can, yeah, so you can switch it on and off, really. Yeah, I, I can, but it really depends on what's coming at me. What comes at me dictates what, what language I think next, which makes it very hard for me to translate family members when I'm with my mom and my husband and, you know, one's speaking Portuguese, the other English. I will hear the Portuguese and I'll look at him and repeat the same thing in Portuguese. And everybody's laughing like, yeah, it's so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then, yeah, do you ever, like, blend the two, like, even within a sentence? like? Yes. Yeah. Yes, mainly after being in America for a long time, there are words in English that are so useful. And then if you're speaking Portuguese with friends, mainly those who live in America as well, you start inserting words like laundry. We don't have a word for doing the laundry, either you're washing or you're ironing. You know, there is no word that encompasses it all.
1: Ah, okay. Yeah, so I know English does have some weird language or some weird uh, vocabulary. It yeah. does. And yes. weird rules. I know we have a lot of weird rules. Yes, but at
2: least the verbs are simple. I come from a language that's a lot like Latin. When you have to, um, to use verbs and you have different persons and different tenses, it is insane. The same verb can have a hundred different ways of ending it depending on the tense and the person.
1: Oh, right. And that can be yeah.
2: complicated. Yep. Yeah. My son yeah. was studying Latin um, in elementary school, and I, I switched to Portuguese once I brought him home to teach him at home. And, and verbs is still the hardest part. I mean, to, to get the person who grew up speaking English to understand that all of a sudden the verbs will change dramatically all the time. It's, it's mind-boggling. Right.
1: Well, I, well here's what I can say on that subject, going back to English and grammar and the weirdness. I remember in high school, you know, and I thought, oh, I'm pretty good at grammar. You know, I don't know if I'm quite a grammar Nazi, but I'm, I'm pretty good at it. But the kids who were the best at it were all foreign exchange students (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so english was not their their primary language so i think that says something right there
2: isn't that odd uh we noticed something similar on my graduation day at university of cincinnati they had um the honor students the magnets we had there was a row of us that were red and we noticed that we were either or both foreigners or older students what they called non-traditional I think it has something to do with wanting it real bad, you know, when I was studying in Brazil, I didn't care, it was given to me, it was not important, I didn't depend on that education to have a good income and a good job, Um, Mm. so unfortunately I did not pay attention, it was a waste of my parents' money, Mm. but then all of a sudden when it's studying or washing dishes forever,
1: well then I paid attention. Mm. Right. Well, hey, now something's on the line, and and I get that. Yeah. I mean, that's my story yeah. too. I think I I spend some time just kind of floating around. Oh, blah, blah, you know, la da 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 mm-hmm. um, But yeah, when something is at stake, I think you're right. You know, we do we do tend to take things more seriously. So, and which you very much did. So I'm gonna go through a couple more of these bullet points here. Sure. because we wanna to get to your, um, your book story too. So, mm-hmm. all right, so you were the editor of your paper at the University of Cincinnati. And then after you graduated, I saw, I was looking at like, what? You did an internship at the Pentagon and ended up yep. being a public affairs spokesperson for the US Army. So how did that happen? Yes. Um, I worked for the army for seven years and
2: it was the most amazing experience in my life. Um, the way it happened, when I graduated from college, I wasn't sure if I was going to go into a master's. I kind of wanted to see what was going on in the job market. And, you know, as an English major, it's kind of hard to get a job, even if you have a high GPA. But then I was I was waiting at the university to talk to my career counselor. He was running late, and I saw a career magazine. He had an ad from the U.S. Army saying, be a civilian in the Army. And I'm like, all right, this could happen, because I was always very attracted to, you know, service related things. I did not feel like I belonged in uniform in any way, shape or form, but being a civilian in support of uniform personnel sounded quite amazing. So I called the number on the ad, and I explained, you know, the degree that I had and my experience with newspapers. And they said, you should apply for an, inter- an internship in public affairs, which I did. And everybody was just laughing. Okay, this is never going to work out. There were so many candidates; it was in the thousands, and they had seven vacancies for public affairs that year. But sure enough, I got one. So are, I did so a. Enough. It was a one year and three months internship, and then I got hired. Went to Fort Hood, from Fort Hood to Germany, from Germany to Hawaii, Hawaii to North Carolina. And that's when I met my husband, an airborne infantryman, and then we got married, I stopped working, we started having babies until came okay. the
1: book baby. <laughs> so so yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um I, I loved how you um you know, how you crafted your bio because your first love was English at McDonalds and now your second love is a handsome airborne infantryman <laughs> that you met at yep. Fort at Fort Bragg, is that correct? Yes. Mhm. Okay, so um, this is just all so fascinating to me. So, and and somewhere in in all of that, it looks like you spent some time at Guantanamo Bay in Iraq. I I... You won some mm-hmm. awards for your journalism. Yeah, it was fascinating. It's, it's like being part of history. It's like living in a movie.
2: That's why I think the Army is such a wonderful place for young people. It is very exciting. I mean, of course, there's the heartbreak that comes with it. But man, can you tell you're making a difference and you're impacting the world? Mm -hmm. It was quite amazing. I was in Guantanamo when the first plane load of the arrived there. What happened was, at the time I was assigned to Fort Hood, the Pentagon had the media pool there, and, you know, everybody's waiting for the arrival. But we also had a lot of personnel from Fort Hood being part of that operation, and a lot of the families and the local community wanted to know what the people that they saw every day in the shops and restaurants, what those soldiers were doing um, to contribute to the war effort. So we took a pool of Texas media to Guantanamo and our focus was completely different. You know, the media pool was there to cover the big historical event. We were there to cover the Texas soldiers contribution to it. Mm. And it was wonderful. It was so successful. We did it three times. Uh, The first time was a pool. The second time was a pool. The third time, we were able to open to whomever because it it worked really well. Commanders on the ground were happy with how we conducted our events and the journalists were happy. So it was wonderful. We took a C-130 from Fort Hood and went all the way to
1: Cuba. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So, I, so mm. all this life experience. And then aside from all of this, in your spare time, you are an accomplished ballerina. So yes. tell us a little bit about that.
2: Okay, We've, I found out in 2013, 2014, that my son and I both have Asperger's syndrome. It used to be Asperger's was a diagnosis in itself, and it's not anymore. Um, doctors decided that it's too similar to autism to be a separate diagnosis, and they just lumped us all together. We're autistic, I guess. Um, so the ballet piece. It was always a wonderful thing in my life. I began when I was eight. And so I've been dancing for almost 40 years now, and I still haven't stopped. Mm. I love it because sometimes I don't know how to make small talk. Uh, I mean, like all the time I don't know how to make small talk. If I have something to communicate, I can communicate it. But just sitting around, it's just very uncomfortable for me. So with ballet, you don't have that problem because... Your entire ballet routine—you know exactly what to do. There is the exercise mm-hmm. that you do to open in, to open the ball, and the second and the third. The order of things changes very little, and you mm-hmm. don't have to talk. You're just dancing. It's just—it it has always been an amazingly comfortable environment for me. So wow. yes, it's the passion of my life. I don't think I can ever, ever, ever quit.
1: <laughs> Oh, my. So, I mean, really, and just hearing you describe it this way, it's, it's a way that, you know, you can express yourself, but without having to be verbal. Absolutely, yes. And you wow. can be together with people, because
2: I, I think it's a lie that autistic people don't crave togetherness, we do,
1: mm-hmm. they just don't know what to do. <laughs> Right. And, you know, I'm glad that you mentioned this because I knew at some point we would be talking about this. But uh, and I didn't want to talk about it right up front because I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's part of, you know, there's a lot of ignorance. And I'm going to raise my hand um, right along with the the rest of the ignorant crowd. But when it comes to autism, when it comes to being on the spectrum or Asperger's, you know, wherever you are on that spectrum, we hear a lot about it. You know, a lot more these days we're hearing about it, but Mm -hmm. we still have a long way to go mm-hmm. to really overcome. And I will say I have close family members who are on the autism spectrum and I mm-hmm. screw up all the time. I love them, but because mm-hmm. I don't live with it day to day, I don't mm-hmm. always know the right way to interact. So right. let's see, help us help us ignorant people out. How, you know, I mean, what should we do? I mean, is there, or, or should we just not do anything and just be normal or, you know, like normal meaning ourselves and our weirdness. And so how does that work? I think that with all people, in, 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 and it
2: doesn't matter what kind of, what makes us different. I think everybody just wants to be loved and and appreciated. So in that sense, I think it's a lot of the same. Um, I don't know if you've been seeing this new series, uh, The Good Doctor. It's a new series on ABC. I have heard and... of it. I haven't watched it yet it's fascinating i really recommend it to me being you know having asperger's now asperger's got dropped from the book and it's all autism people always Mm -hmm. look at you funny when you mention being autistic because most of us are so high functioning uh that it's hard for people to believe so it becomes a little bit of a joke like yeah sure whatever everybody's autistic now uh Mm -hmm. that's something that hurts and, and for that reason, I kind of challenge the lumping everybody together. I, it, it breaks my heart that Asperger's as a diagnosis went away because I think that it was beneficial to have them separate. I also understand why doctors put it together because there are similarities. The, the difficulty uh, relating is obviously there. Um, I think that if some if you know somebody in the spectrum and that person is trying to reach you and trying to establish a relationship, try really hard. From my experience as an author, when I go to events, if I have a one-on-one, a mentoring session, it's amazing and, and we become friends and it's easy. When we're at large tables and everybody's talking, I usually don't speak a word because I don't know what to say unless somebody specifically asks me a question, I just don't speak. But knowing that, sometimes I make an effort, okay, it's natural for me to not speak. I don't know what to say, I get that. So I make an effort and I'm paying attention, okay, what are people saying? How is somebody introducing themselves into the conversation? And I try to do the same, but it seems like it never works. I, you know, Either I talk too much or I talk too little. I see all these friendships forming in the circles that I'm part of. And I have some friends, but not as many. And if people only knew how much I love them and how much I appreciate what they do, be, you know, the bloggers, the authors, the teachers, but I seem to always fail to communicate that people have no idea that I like them. I I think that a lot of people think that I don't care. I'm not paying attention, that nothing is even registering when it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the most hurtful part is when I make an effort and any backfires, like I, I see people becoming close friends and then I, I try to share something of my life with someone and it's met with silence mm. that said to me if you, and if you have the benefit of knowing that somebody is in the spectrum and that person is making an effort to share who they are with you if you can go the extra mile to to reward if you will that yes. openness you know know that it's really hard that people is trying really hard to make a connection
1: right Try to make right. it easy
2: try to bridge the gap try to meet in the middle try yeah. to understand just how hard that was and how much they must love you to, to yeah.
1: choose to connect. And that's, that's the, I think you, you just said the key right there, you know, two things, how hard it is and how much they must love you. You know, if, I think this just goes, this transcends to almost any area of life. Sometimes we're, we're so much in our own heads. It's really hard mm-hmm. to take that step out of our out of ourselves and the way I view the world, the way, you know, it, well, it feels, quote, normal to me because this is how I see things. So if I'm interacting with somebody that isn't interacting with me the way I'm used to or whatever, you know, it's, it's very easy to misinterpret mm-hmm. what's, what's really going on. And it's only when we take that, like you said, go that extra mile, take that step outside because the world is a big place and it's not all, you know, just because I perceive it a certain way doesn't mean that that's necessarily reality and mm-hmm. and that's again one of our core values is hey you know we're all wired a certain way right um but yeah. that way has a purpose so and mine right. might look different than yours but if i don't get out of my bubble i'm not going to appreciate your your yeah. purpose and and the wonderful way that you're wired mm-hmm Absolutely. And that's one of the things about this, the good doctor, the series.
2: uh even though the, the doctor in the story is autistic, he has a gift for seeing the human body, the way it's supposed to function. He can picture the inside and he can see exactly what it's supposed to look like. And when he sees something that doesn't look right, he is above everybody else in identifying what's wrong. So there are other surgeons that are better at other things, but they're learning to bring him into the picture when, when you need an unusual approach, when you need somebody to just look at something and identify something that's out of sync.
1: Right, and isn't it amazing, just, just all those different, you know, just it's a different perspective, and we need it, because yeah. my perspective, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to get all universalist, I believe there is such a thing as truth, but even mm. within that truth, there is a spectrum, right, and there are perspectives, and I don't, I can't see everything, so I need somebody else to yeah. offer their perspective. But
2: how often, and in, in in different areas of life, different perspectives can be so annoying, I mean, you have your perspective, That's true. and you love it so badly. Oh yeah, I mean, believe in yeah.
1: it. I mean, don't tell me there's another perspective. No, there isn't. <laughs> oh yeah, that's an important point because I think you know, talking like this, it sounds very idealistic, and and it's. Tr- I'm not backing off from it. I think it's very true, but part of growing and interacting, you know, with. Other misfits, if you will, is, yeah, we're, we're going to grate on each other and we are going to be uncomfortable and I am going to screw up and say the wrong thing. But you know what? That's part of the growing process. That's mm. we don't overcome it by staying in our bubble.
2: No, no, we don't.
1: And that's all so, for
2: us, too, you know, for those of us who function well enough to recognize, wait a minute, if I can see this problem in this person who's also in the spectrum, is it possible that I'm driving my family crazy by doing the exact same thing, only I can identify it in somebody else but not it in myself?
0: Oh, so I've learned to truth. look at my
2: husband and say, <laughs> am I off target here, something that's making me furious? Should I not be furious? Maybe I have a reason, but what if I don't? What if it's just the way I'm wired? What if my brain is screaming be mad? But in all reality, the fault wasn't that bad. I, I can pull up, I remember one time he picked me up at the airport uh, after a conference and we got home and the entire house, the entire yard, multiple vehicles in the parkway, I knew that the letter L in the back of my Civic where it says Civic LX was missing. How in the world can you pull up to a house and know that? Oh my goodness. And I just want to be mad because where's my call. <laughs> <My God. laughs> but you know, I, I need to understand that just because I see that, I cannot expect everybody else to see that and care about it.
1: Right, right. So, you know, right. take a step back. Mm. Wow. So there's so, so much here in so many directions I want to go in, but, um, <laughs> but I want to talk about your book because I know that's why, yes, uh, why we're here. So, so with all of this, what made you decide... To write a book about dancing because your book is called a season to dance yes the book is pretty much uh, I don't know if you watch
2: slumdog millionaire it's about this Indian boy who wins mm. uh, one of those million-dollar questions contest right but his whole life got him to that contest and every question they asked you lived a piece of his life that answers that question the book in a way everything that I've experienced is somehow in there and it's a a long 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 dream i began in 1987 dreaming of writing a book that's i was still in brazil i read paulo coelho's the alchemist which is the story of a young shepherd boy uh going after a treasure and when i read that it touched my heart in such a way i said okay i need to do that to people i want to write a book that that will touch people's hearts But I never had a good idea, and life happened, you know, I moved to America, I went to college, I started working for the Army. When I stopped working to be home with the kids after my little girl was born, I finally had a good idea for a story. I didn't know exactly what what I call a good idea. It was a seed. All it was was a woman on top of a wall, and she had been put there by someone for behaving badly. But I didn't know what she had done, and I didn't know who had put her there. But that was the beginning. That was the first idea that I had. So my husband said, well, if you want to run with that, how about if every Saturday you write a chapter? And I did. And that's how a season to dance begins. It's the, star- the story of a small town professional ballerina who works really, really hard to achieve her dreams, but she seems to be always one step short. She never quite gets there and she's becoming frustrated with that. She's in her late twenties and her life is not going in the direction she had expected and her romantic life is similar to it. She's always one step short. And, and that's the beginning of the story of a season to dance. It's about looking for romance and completeness and spiritual center and struggling and striving until we finally realize maybe striving is not the right answer. And that's
1: how the story grows. Maybe struggling isn't the right answer. Wow, we could talk about that for a long time because, <laughs> yeah, I think the struggle is there, right? Like sometimes you the mean, answer, the answer often isn't really that bad. It's, in right. fact, it's a welcome thing, but it's the struggle to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes struggle pays off and sometimes it doesn't. I heard a wonderful
2: sermon a few days ago about this whole struggling thing. It's tempting to say that, you know, as a Christian, that human effort can't really accomplish anything because we're thinking jump to things. But wait a minute, human effort accomplishes things all the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that there is a time When on purpose, God does not allow you
1: to succeed by striving alone so that change can happen. Oh, yes. It's a partnership, right? So, all right, so Mm -hmm. I have to stop here. I have one of my favorite stories of when I met my husband. The day I met him, I I had been singing uh, at an event, and so he he said something nice about, you know, about, oh, that was was great or whatever. And I said, oh, that was all God. And (laughs) without skipping a beat, he says, oh, no, God would be much better. (laughs) <laughs> and that just illuminates what you're talking and, and that's what I knew. Okay, this is the guy for mm-hmm. me. But um, yep. yeah, yep. isn't it true? I mean, God, he could do it all, but yeah. he doesn't. He, lets, he, no. he gives us abilities and he, and he yeah. partners with us. And the best, the best is when we, when we partner with him and say, okay, yeah. God, work through me, you know, your strength and my weakness. But when I do it in my own strength, boy, am I in trouble. Right. And a season to dance. was that? You know, it was a solid book. I had looked for editors
2: who had read the story, had helped me make it stronger. I was looking for agents. I was still not a Christian and nothing was working and nothing was working. And I knew the story was solid. And I'm like, why in my heart, I always believed, okay, you know, if you're a good person, good things are going to happen, Mm -hmm. you know, good karma or whatever but nothing was going right and i finally got to a point that we were in germany at the time my husband was deployed and i was just getting rejection after rejection and i was in the middle of my kitchen and i remember looking up and saying god i don't know that you exist i don't know that you are there remember that's pre-christian years but this is not working out. I mean, I've been a good person, right? That works mentality. I've been a good person. I deserve a book deal. Why is this not happening? And I just said, you know what? You're bad. You don't exist or you don't care. I don't know what this God thing is all about. It's just not working for me. And I became the worst version of myself. When you decide that there is no God or that, you know, nothing matters. That bad things happen, right? Uh, my life became a life of, okay, what can I get to satisfy? myself right here right now how can I get Mm. the most joy out of this day and that's all there is Mm. but you know praise God he doesn't leave us alone in that place he kept leading me to him leading me to him in in a very similar way that it happens with the protagonist of a season today until I finally came to a point where everything made sense and I saw his touch at every point in my life and I realized this is not the end this is the beginning this is not where God's Mm. ability ends this is where it starts and and in that place of brokenness he pointed me in El Paso next to a friend from the Georgia years who I remembered well for going to church and I asked him like listen my life is falling apart and and I need help so I mean where are you going to church just take me and it was the first Wednesday of 2013 and, and that was the day that everything started making sense. Within a month, I was born again, baptized. I had a conference uh, to go to New York and try to pitch the book again. Just before the conference, it was the week before, I thought to myself, <laughs> I wrote the wrong book. I have to rewrite this whole thing. It's not about a girl trying to find a career and love. It's about a girl trying to do all that to fill the God-shaped hole in her heart. Mm. So I had to rewrite the whole story to show that. You know, she can try all she wants. She can strive all she wants. No man and no career will ever make her feel happy if she doesn't have God. If she doesn't understand that, if she doesn't establish that relationship first.
1: And then she can pursue everything else from a healthy place. So you rewrote the book. Yep. And at some point, uh, so this is two thousand. Thirteen. So 13. two mm-hmm. years later, I know I'm skipping ahead here, but uh, sounds like you got some recognition for your writing, because I see that you yep. were a semifinalist and a finalist with Genesis and First Impressions. Yep. Everything w- began working out
2: after I rewrote the story and I had the right story. Then, then that's when things began to work out, and I, ha- I went to my very first Christian writer- Writers' Conference in 2014, and that's when I met my agent, Liz Toby, and immediately after, when we began working together, he started sending the story out, and then Lighthouse Publishing of the Carolinas decided to publish it. And they did a beautiful
1: job. I'm so excited about the book. They were. Oh, on. and it's a beautiful cover. It's a beautiful Thank cover. Thank yeah. So, and by the way, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put this out here now. We're gonna be doing a giveaway of Patricia's Hi. book. So, yeah. So just for subscribing to the Isle of Misfits. So if you haven't already done so, see Patricia, I'm I'm shamelessly taking advantage of your talents here. I'll you. But um, yeah, I'm so excited because <laughs> um, it is. It's a it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful story. Um, boy, I wanted to talk about you know your characters. You have Anna. Klaus, uh, Anna's dog, so I don't know how much more time that you have to give me, but I would love to hear just just a little bit. Like if I were to go to Goodreads and and look at the synopsis, what what would the synopsis tell me about this? I mean, you've already kind of told me, but some of these characters. Uh,
2: Well, Anna, as we mentioned, she is getting to her late 20s and she's starting to get concerned because life hasn't gone the way she had expected and she's starting to panic a little bit. Klaus is now a famous German dancer. She had met him uh, when she was a teenage girl and had fallen in love, but things had not worked out at all. She never understood what had happened, but it hadn't worked out. And then as she grew older, she became engaged to a landscape artist in Georgia. When the story opens, um, you have them together again. Klaus all of a sudden returns to her life to dance with her, and she's trying to figure out why he came back now. Uh, now he's famous. Uh, she had heard that he was married. She doesn't know what's going on. What happened to the wife? And but she's engaged. At the same time, she's incredibly curious about you know her teenagehood crush she also knows okay know, I'm about to go through a mega change in my life I'm going to you know change direction a little bit I'm about to get married I'm about to be a rancher's wife I might be able to continue dancing but I'm not entirely very sure where that's gonna go it's that crossroads, and all of a sudden the key people
1: in her life are brought back to the stage to, to get things going Okay, if that doesn't make you curious to want to read more, I don't know why I and and you even at the end of the book, have uh, a section of some maybe some of what we talked about, you're a, a little bit of an autobiography. Yes, yes, I do have uh, my testimony
2: there in the back because um, even before I had an agent, I'm like, this is the, more ex- the most exciting story of all. I mean, no book will ever equal how God had me writing my own salvation story before I ever knew about it. Uh, that, that gets me every time. I mean, only God can pull that, that one off, right? Yeah, sure, I'm going to get this girl, and I'm going to plant in her heart the desire to write a book, and through the writing of the book, we'll connect again. I
1: love it. I love it. It's, yeah. You know, there's a story, and then there's the bigger story, and it all weaves yeah. together so, so, so beautifully. Patricia, Great. what a pleasure it's been to have you with us oh. today. And there is so much more that we could talk about, and and I want to. So I'm going to just extend an open invitation to you to come back to the Isle okay. of Misfits anytime you please, because there's oh, probably a hundred things you could share with us, and and we could glean from you. Okay. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Um, oh, tell us where. We can get this book and, um, and your website as well, where they can hear the yes. beautiful music. Um,
2: the website is com, And when you go to the bottom of the website, you can see all my links. If you like Instagram, Goodreads, uh, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, I'm there often. I enjoy social media a lot um so you can find me on the social websites or at the website and at the very top at the website you have the purchase links it's on amazon it's on lighthouse publishing of the carolinas it's on barnes and noble um i haven't added the links yet but i heard it's also at books a million and the depository okay
1: yeah so b-e-a-l right that's how Mm -hmm. you spell your last name Mm -hmm. patriciabeal.com um yeah it's worth it i mean it's it's a beautiful website it's a beautiful book beautiful story um once again thank you so much
0: patricia and god bless you thank you so much thank you you too so like i said we'll be including patricia's book a season to dance in our next random drawing of random awesomeness giveaway and you only have until the end of november to enter you can do that by subscribing at Isle of Misfits. That's I-S-L-E-of-Misfits.com. And of course, if you guys plain old want the book, you can do that too by visiting patriciabeal.com I'm telling you, you should go to our website just for the beautiful musical experience that'll greet you, and there's lots of other cool stuff there to check out there as well. And speaking of coolness, this week being the kickoff for the holiday season and all, we're just going to load you up with more amazingly cool interviews that you can listen to on your long drives over the river and through the woods. In fact, my next interview is a two-parter with a woman whose story is frankly going to blow you away. So stay tuned for that. And until then, keep owning your awkward and keep loving your fellow misfits.